Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I am pretty fired up about today's guest. Um, I just met this dude recently um, through a mutual friend. And we'll talk about that mutual friend here in a minute. But um, this guy has quite an unbelievable story. So if you are just joining, first off, if you're a replay viewer, share this out, man. People love it when you share their stuff. So share this out. Appreciate all of you. I want to welcome my buddy, Brad Modridge, to the show. Brad, welcome to the show, brother. Hello. Good morning, Ken. Thanks for having me. Super, super excited for this. Dude, this this is incredible. So you have... Um, you have quite a story, and, and you, you told me a little bit of it the other day when we talked. Yeah. Um, like, wow. <laughs> you, you've, 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 um, you've definitely experienced the ups and downs in life. And, I, I sure and, have. And, and, and that's what this show is about. It's, it's to help people have a breakthrough, like just, you know, breaking through all the crap in life and, and succeeding anyway. But let's start with um, where you were born and raised. Uh, I come from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Uh, Billy Joel made a song about it. Allentown. Good yeah. old Allentown, PA. Born and raised on the east side of Allentown. Nice, man. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so, so what, um, and, and that's, where, where is Allentown? What part of PA? It's about an hour north of Philly. Oh, okay. So it's actually, it's the third biggest city in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, then Allentown. Wow, really? Yeah, most people don't know that. Yep, yep. Wow. Great city. It's a growing city. It's uh, the Lehigh Valley itself, where, where I'm at, is in the top five cities for economical growth in America. That's how much we're booming right now. Wow. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been pretty busy. A lot of construction, a lot of road widening. Um, a lot of people, because where, where Allentown's situated, uh, it's about an hour away from New York. It's about an hour away from Philly, oh. two hours away from the beach. Um, we got a good location here. Dude, I, I, it's, you're that close to New York. Yeah. Yep. 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 The, we just the take, city. Uh, take 78. Yeah. The city about an hour. Well, I drive a little fast hour and 15 <laughs> minutes. Um, for most people, hour and 20. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. I love New York city. Yeah, I, I love it. So, so you, you, um, we were introduced by Chris Saracino, right? Mister, yes, uh, I love this man, Chris Saracino. Um, he is a a beast, dude. That guy is, uh, I, I, like, God made him and said, "All right, I'm done." Like, <laughs> like, right? Like, Chris Saracino is one of the coolest, nicest, humblest. Is that a word? Um, but I mean, he's just a good dude. Yeah. He's a, he's on a whole other level in terms of fatherhood, leadership, salesmanship, professionalism. Yeah. Like I, I told him and I, I didn't want to sound like I was like blowing smoke up his rear. Yeah. I'm like, you literally, you set a bar, you know, for everybody to kind of look up to. And you know, his book is phenomenal. The theory of five Yeah. Phenomenal book. I mean, I, I think Chris and I, we, we connect on so many different levels because I feel like I got an old soul and he's, he's, he's been around the block and from Allentown, like if you, you know, to be from Allentown, there's a certain kind of like how people feel like when they're from New York, yeah. you know, you got that New Yorker, yeah. you know, when you're from Allentown, you got a certain grit and he's, uh, he's born and raised Allentown just like me. And I got nothing but love for him. Yeah. He's a good dude, man. And he's, he's actually introduced me to some really cool people, you being one of them. Um, and, and so, so you grew up in Allentown. What was it like in, and, and I've never been to Allentown. So, and I literally just was in Philadelphia, what a month and a half or so ago for the very first time ever. I drove through it on my way to Atlantic city. I spoke in an event over there and, and, uh, I, it was, so it was at night both times. So I didn't really get to even experience <laughs> Philly, but so what was it like in Allentown, um, for you as a kid, like growing up, you know, what you went to, to grade school, middle school, high school over there. 
Yeah, I actually, I went to a Catholic school. Oh. My mom uh, was a single mom. Uh, my mom and dad split, I think, probably like when I was around four or five. And Allentown, for the most part, is definitely a blue-collar town. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of middle class, a lot of blue-collar workers, a lot of, you know, the Bethlehem Steel was here, Mack Trucks was here. Um, so there, there was just a very blue-collar kind of atmosphere. We grew up in Low House. Um, it was me and my two sisters and my mom. And uh, my mom was a single mom, you know, raising three kids. And, you know, we, we were low, we were on welfare, we had food stamps and, you know, we, 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 we didn't live this like grand life. You know, my mom was busting her ass to, to take care of three kids and, um, she was doing it all on her own. And where, where did you, where did you fall in and with your siblings? Were you, I was the youngest. So I have my sister, Monica, who was kind of like the guardian of us, uh, middle sister, Jenny. And then I was the baby. So <clears throat> I was definitely baby. My, 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 my parents, I, my mom gave me this nickname. She used to call me precious. And, uh, <laughs> oh, geez. So try and trust me, I still hear it from my sisters till this day. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be 44 this year. Wow. Uh, they still call me precious. It's like, it's a Dude, family joke. I, I'm going to start calling you that now. <laughs> Every no, time no, I call no. you, I'm going to be like, what's up precious. I get enough for my sisters. <laughs> What's that? Uh, I get I get enough for my sisters yeah. breaking my chops. Um, but yeah, I, I was the baby, so I, I was definitely protected. My two sisters, I mean, they were they they were my everything and still are. Um, you know, they protected me from fights and you know other people and my, my sisters because you know they're they're extremely alpha women. Um, you know, my sister Monica was the oldest, Jenny was the middle, and I always was hanging out with their friends. So I was always this little kid hanging out with the older kids. So I think I grew up a little bit quicker than most, yeah. um, just cause my mom was always working or doing something. So I was like back and it's not like today where, you know, kids are left at home by themselves. Like I had to be with my sisters, whether I liked it or not. It was like, right. you got to be with your sisters. They watch me. Right. Um, right. So they were a big part of me growing up. So, so you were um, definitely, and I, hey, I had an older sister as well. Um, and then I had a younger brother and a younger sister. So I understand the older sister protection thing. I get that. Like, you know, although she didn't do a good job towards the <laughs> end of my teenage years because she was gone. Right. I was, Anyway, we won't go there. This is about you. But the, yeah. the, um, so you were, and your, what did your mom do? I mean, Allentown's a blue collar town. Was she a blue she, collar? Yeah, blue collar. She, you know, she did a lot of secretary jobs, a lot of office work. Um, and then, you know, she got injured early. You know, she's, my, my, in terms of health, uh, my mom's had a lot of serious health issues over the years. Yeah. Um, from her back issues, knee issues. She's just, I mean, we were, it was my daughter's birthday yesterday and she came over and I was even mentioning to her, I was just like, it's a, it's a, she's a medical miracle. Um, wow. and she's, she's still going, she's in her late sixties. Um, she's still trucking around, but, uh, I, I think, you know, my mom, um, she, she had a, she had a tough background herself. You know, she was one of nine brothers and sisters. Wow. So it was just a huge family on that end, but it was a very disconnected. We, we, it wasn't a very connected, like I'm connected to my two sisters more than anything. Yeah. And yeah. like till this day, I tell them like, I'm never going to argue with them. I'm, I'm always going to have their back. And I, I see sometimes these siblings that they argue and I watch my, my mom's sisters and brothers and they're just like, always at each other and I'm like I I, I vowed to my sisters regardless of what happens in our life I will never operate that way with you I'm just wow. not gonna happen I only got never two sisters. and you never have well as when we were kids don't get me wrong me oh. and my sister my sister Jenny used to kick the shit out of me I think that's <laughs> she she's the one that toughened me up we used to fight like cats and dogs wow like constantly at it like literally physical like and Jenny used to whoop the shit out of it. I mean, I remember one time they hogtied me because I was just this little idiot and always running to my mom because my mom would – because I was precious, right? <laughs> I, I would do something stupid 
And I wow. was always into something. And the one time my mom, I'll never forget this. I, they, they, my mom went somewhere. I think she went down to the casino, down at AC. Yeah. And I was being a hellion. And my, I had my sisters and my two cousins at the house. And they couldn't control me. And then all of a sudden, they just piled on top. They literally hogtied me. And they were like, now just sit there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? Wow. Yeah. I laugh at it now, but, yeah. I mean, I was such a little yeah. jerk. I really yeah. was. <laughs> so so you went um, – so all of this was through um, grade school, middle school, high school? This was through middle school. Well, and uh, so I was with my mom, and then my mom, uh, she, she got married a second time, and then she got married a third time. And the third time, she moved to a city a little – outside of Whitehall, uh, outside of Allentown called Whitehall. And this is when it really became culture shock because I was a kind of a city kid, you know, I I didn't have any racial profiling, like, you know, my friends were, you know, African-American, Hispanic, Dominican, you know, it was just, like racism for me, like, and, and this is like a big subject now, like I didn't experience racism. Right. I don't care who you were, like, if I liked you, I liked you. You were doing good things. You were doing good things. But when I moved to Whitehall, I kind of had a little edge to me. And I was uh, – I, I, I joke with everyone. I was the Eminem before Eminem came out. <laughs> <laughs> really? And, uh, yeah. Uh, it was bad. So it was kind of culture shock when I went to Whitehall. And uh, I got in a lot of fights. Mm. I got in a lot of trouble. And my mom was with her third husband and – she did a good job at providing a roof, yeah. but in terms of, I, I just, there was no discipline. I, uh, I didn't listen. I did what I wanted. I uh, got in trouble, got arrested the first time I was 14, got arrested the second time when I was 15, um, was always in fight, always suspended. And usually my fight stemmed from either protecting someone or sticking up for someone. Like if I seen someone getting bullied or I seen someone, you yeah. know, get laughed at, I would always step up and I'd be like, why don't you come pick on me? <laughs> like you, you're so tough. You're, you're picking on this. I'll, I'll never forget. Some, some kid did something crazy in, in, in high school the one time. And the, the kid that did it was a big football player. And, you know, he, he had the, he was a letterman. And yeah. I was just like, why don't you come pick on me? Right. And that just set a ripple effect in the high school where I was just, it, it wasn't good. Wow. So, and this is in Whitehall. This is in Whitehall High School. Okay. So I, I didn't graduate my senior year. I think my senior year, I missed like 67 days. Yeah. And I just had zero tolerance for authority. Like I just didn't listen. Right. And I, something happened my, my senior year. And I was just like, I said, screw it. I said, screw it to everything. And that summer I really started to kind of mature a little bit and I was like, okay, I really got to get this together. So I I went in for my second senior year and I got arrested again. Now, mind you, I was still 17 at the time because my birthday's in December. Wait, wait, let's back up to 14. The first time you got arrested. What, what are, what are, what's the pattern here? What, why are you getting arrested for fighting? Uh, The first I got arrested was for shoplifting. Um, I, I was stealing, I sold something from John Wanamaker's and, uh, yeah, I, I got, I got arrested for shoplifting. And then the second time I got arrested was for creating an unsafe environment in a public setting. Um, had a gun, uh, it wasn't even a real gun. It was a BB gun and someone thought it was a real gun. I mean, I was, I was 15 at the time, but it was one of those things where, we wanted people to think it was a real gun and right. there was a, a fight and it was like the whole, like I, you know, you raise your, yeah. your shirt, have a gun there, but it was a Coleman little BB gun. Right. So cops got called, we got arrested for that, but that was just the stigma that yeah. I had. I, I wanted to, I wanted to be like John Gotti. I wanted to be like the gangsters and you, you may, you may even remember this commercial. Um, there was a commercial, uh, I think it was in like the Ronald Reagan era. It was like when Dare was out, like, uh, yep. you know, Shrugs. There was, I'll never forget this. 
there was a, it was a commercial of this guy running along a chain link fence. It was this kid. He was running full blast. And then all of a sudden the camera panned out and there was a cop going to chase him and go to grab him on his collar. Okay. And you know, the cop, the, the cop caught him yeah. and then it panned out. It said, nobody ever said I wanted to be a drug dealer when I got older. And I, 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 I seen this and I was just like, in my head, this was the mentality I had. Yeah. I'm like, first off, the cop wouldn't have caught me. There was no way. He wouldn't have caught I, you? He wouldn't have caught me. I would have just kept going. There's no way that cop would have caught me. Right. So, And that, that was the mentality I had. Like, I could do what I want and say what I want, and I'm never, I'm never going to get in trouble. Right. Um, and I just, I just, when I saw that, I was like, yeah, I want to be that guy that the cops can't catch. Wow. This was really in my hardwiring. And I was just always thinking on how to work the system and how to how to just be a better bad person. And and and, and this this is when you're 14, 15, 14, 15 16. 16. Wow. Don't get me wrong. I still had a good heart. Like I still wanted to, you know, fight yeah. for the underdog. Yeah. But when it came to hustling our money or taking something, we would try to make a dollar out of 15 cents out of everything. Yeah. So, so you were, um, so your second senior year, um, you were, um, arrested again. I got arrested again. And you were 17, 18. I was 17. Okay. And I broke into someone's car. Okay. And when I got arrested, the, the gentleman that I, the kid who I broke into his car, his father was a pastor. Oh. And when the charges came out, um, the week prior to that, the Marine Corps recruiter was at the high school and I was in front of the cafeteria and I grabbed his business card. And at the time I was just making an ass out of him. I was like doing the Benny Hill salute and, you know, I was just, I was just an idiot. I really wow. was. And I was like, yeah, be all you can be. And he was like, that's the army son. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. and I said it on purpose. You know right. what I mean? And uh, I took his, I just have, I took his, something made me take that card. And uh, when that happened, I got in trouble. I called the the kid's father and I was like, you know, Mr. L, I'm not going to be able to go in the Marine Corps. And he was like, oh, you're going in the Marine Corps. I was like, absolutely. I was like, I'm going. I was like, you know, I'm doing this. He was like, okay, let me talk to your recruiter. So I had the card. I gave him the recruiter's number. Right. And uh, he he calls the recruiter. The recruiter calls me. He was like, oh, I, you, you, you want to come in? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just yesed everybody to death. Wow. And it, it came out where the recruiter came to my house. He was like, all right. And I'm like, okay, I'll get it. I was like, yeah, yeah. And I told the recruiter, yeah, yeah. He was like, you're either signing up or you're going to juvie hall. Right. Which one do you want to go? So that's how I, I got into the Marine Corps. Um, it was kind Jeez. of by force. Yeah. Dude. And, uh, that, it, was, it was a great experience because I loved guns. I loved – I was a physical kid. Um, I, you know, we weren't lazy by any means. Right. And that's when I, I – it was November 28th uh, of 1993. I went into the United States Marine Corps. Good grief. And, uh, that's when all the crap was going down over in the Middle East. Correct. Desert Storm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because my, yeah. my brother was um, in the Navy over there, so. Yeah. Wow. So that 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 led me to the Marine Corps, and then from the Marine Corps, uh, again. Well, hold, hold on, yeah. <laughs> hold on. We gotta talk about this, dude, because here here's a dude that obviously you've got a chip on your shoulder as a teenager, right? Yep. You you're you're you figured out how to manipulate the system and everybody around you in, in some one way or another, right? Yep. And I, dude, I'm not judging you. I I, I can relate to this, okay? Mm -hmm. So so now you're in the Marine Corps, and from what I understand, um, and and I'm sure the Marine Corps basic training or boot camp is is much more intense than the Navy, but yes. I, I've I've heard that that they're not really polite to you not during, at all no so how, no. how did that attitude that that energy you're carrying around how did that work for you in during boot camp who yeah <laughs> it, it, it was not good because uh 
You said, who? <laughs> uh, I, I, I went into it with the mindset that I'm a physical guy, so yeah. I can handle it. And when you get dropped, I'll, I'll never forget it. Like I marked myself the second I got there. Um, something happened with our with our platoon. I'm sorry, with with our company where we had to break up one of the platoons last minute. So when everyone was doing like the formal introduction to their drill instructors on you know in their barracks, right. I remember I was standing. I had my foot locker, and I caught like the tail end of the very because they come out and they're locked and loaded and they're you know i'm staff sergeant this and i'm sergeant that and i just caught like the tail end and then the drill instructors go back into their their hut they put their camis on and when they come out they this like i caught this part of them walking in and i'm standing there with my foot locker and all of a sudden they came out they look like gremlins and they had their smokies on and they're like, yeah, and they're screaming and they're throwing lockers around. And I'm just looking, I turned to the dude next to me. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Oh, and I no. started laughing <laughs> and this, I'll never forget it. Sergeant Brown came up, banged the locker out of me. He was like, you think it's funny? Ripped open my locker, flew everywhere. And I was like, what oh. the hell did I get myself into? Wow. <laughs> it was insane. But Did you, uh, you want to fight him? No, I didn't want to fight him. I was a little scared. I'm not going to yeah, lie. I mean, right. I never had anyone that physical like in my face before. <laughs> right. But I was just like, at that point, I was like, okay, just follow, follow, follow. And then the drill instructors, yeah, I, I, I got to give it to them. They, they, they know how to push people to see who their leaders are and who they aren't. Yeah. And if you could take it and you could take the punishment, they love that. Wow. And I would screw up, and there was this thing called the quarter deck at the front of the squad bay. I was on that quarter deck almost every freaking day, doing push-ups, sit-ups, something, burpees, like they as, as a did. form of what punishment? Punishment, right? Jeez. Oh, and then they <clears throat> would they would test you to see how you interact with other Marines, right? So I kind of forged myself into a way, and I think this was the first time I understood that I had the leadership potential in me because guys were listening to me. I was able to kind of, you know, influence guys to get like something done or something accomplished, whether it was cleaning the squad bay or, you know, getting downstairs quicker and online and, and locked and loaded, you know, whatever those were, I became uh, a squad leader. Yeah. And then I was, uh, there's something called the guide on the guy that carries the flag. Yeah. And to get in boot camp, it's like, it's like a big to do. Yeah. So, I got to carry the guide on for almost like three quarters. So that's like a team leader position. Yeah. And, and something happened while it was on my watch and, and two Marines really went at it. And one Marine really got hurt. They got to a, a physical uh, altercation and I lost my guide on cause technically it was on my watch. So, oh, wow. but they still kind of knew who I was and you know, they pushed the limits and uh, that was from, from a point of teamwork and building yeah, it, that was one of the best experiences of my life. That's awesome, dude. So, so you got out of boot camp and and you went on to what 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 was what was after that? I was an infantryman, so I was 0311, and um, so I was a grunt. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I went to the school of infantry afterwards, and uh, right when I was about to graduate the school of infantry, I got in trouble again. Jeez. So. It was like one of the first or second weekends uh, that we got a, uh, you get like a weekend pass to go right. get off base. Yeah. And we were at a club and make a long story short, I was dancing with this chick and she was like, my boyfriend's here. And I was like, I don't care, you know, pounding on my chest. I'm a tough Marine. Yeah. And she dated a tougher Marine. Oh, <laughs> God. And oh, uh, no. I had my whole squad with me and I, I, I remember you know, she all night it was this cat and mouse thing between her and I. And and I, I mean, I had no clue who this girl was. It was right, just some girl right. chick at the club. And uh, I remember we walked out of the club and I felt the tap on my shoulder and I turned around and Ooh. got laid out like rocked me. Wow. And by the time like I turned and looked like the four other guys from my squad, they were just beating the shit out of this dude. 
And uh, I got up and I started pounding on him and I didn't know what the hell to do. And here he was uh, like a staff sergeant. We found out that he was a staff sergeant and I just, I hit the bricks. I left. Wow. Got on a plane. I flew home. I didn't know what to do. Oh, you didn't even go back to base? Yeah, no, I uh, I went AWOL. Um, oh, man. And it was Easter of 1994. Wow. And I went to my best friend's house because, you know, I knew where the key was. Like, yeah. no one knew where I was. Like, I just literally jumped on a plane. I went to the airport, flew home. Went to my best friend's house because I knew he'd be away for Easter. And the phone won't stop ringing. Like, his house phone is ringing and ringing and ringing. This is before cell phones were yeah, big. right, right. And uh, I finally, I pick it up. And I'm like, hello? And it was my mom. She was like, get your fucking ass home now. No way. She, like, knew oh. where I she. That's how much my mom knew. She, like, <laughs> knew exactly where I was. Wow. And I went home and state police were there and make, I went back to training. They dropped me back and then I had to go through school of infantry again. I got uh-huh. demoted. Uh, cause I was, a uh, I was about to become an E3. I got dialed back down all the way to, to E1. And, uh, that I was going through my second school of infantry, got injured, uh, became a veteran. I got, you know, 25%, you know, uh, on my veteran affairs, 25% for the rest of my life. And then I got out, I got a, a, a general under honorable conditions. So I, I did it the right way. And then that was about the extent of my Marine Corps. Wow. But what happened was I came home and I still wasn't fully in the right mind frame. I right. just felt like I went back to that same environment I was before. Yeah. I was stronger tougher and had a bigger bravado (laughs) right you know what i mean the ego just got bigger right and it fueled for a bigger badder person wow wow not 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 in a good way no no i get it i get it and so here you are what 24 25 maybe 19 19. I, I, I was I was 17 when I went in. Oh my god, dude. Yeah. 19. 19? 19. Just about to turn 20 at the time. So you I wasn't even old enough Marine to drink. Corps for what? A, a year and a half? 2 two and a half years. Oh, okay. Oh, wow, yeah. man. Yeah. So so now you're 19, you're back in Allentown. Back in Allentown. Got a your 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 the chip you had on your shoulder when you went into the Marine Corps like got microwaved. It took some steroids or something. It got huge. Um, and you came back to Allentown at nineteen and and got a good accounting job. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, no, not at all. No, I, okay. I I went to sell cars. This was my my first job. I was selling cars. Okay. I went to. Uh, Roth Rock Motor Sales. It's a big dealership up in the Lehigh Valley. And uh, I was selling cars, and it was that typical thing. I had a fake ID, too, yeah. so I was 19. Yeah. Guys went to the bar afterwards, and it just became this car sales, drinking, after work, long hours. Yeah. I'm sure you know the whole the gambit. Yeah. Um, and then me and uh, uh, a buddy of mine, we were sitting at a bar, and his parents had moved down to Florida. And I moved down to Florida. We were just sitting there one day. We were like, let's move. I was like, let's go tomorrow. And we literally went home, packed our cars, hightailed it down to 95, and moved down to Tampa, Florida, Clearwater. Jeez. Literally just like that. In, in one day. In one day. I didn't even think about it. Just got in our cars <laughs> and left. Wow. So, okay. Wow. This is dude, when everything got crazy. This what you said? This is when it got crazy. <laughs> like, dude, I'm already like going, holy crap! Okay, yeah. so you, you you're in Tampa, Florida, in Tampa, um, out of the snow, out of the snow. Yeah, and, and uh, um, my beaches, my beaches, beaches. We uh, we first moved to Largo, okay. Lar- Largo. It's it's right outside of Tampa. It's on the west side, on the Gulf side. Yeah. So we're in Largo, Clearwater area, and. Um, my cousin's parents, I call him my cousin, um, it's just because we grew up together. It was just one of those things. He was my buddy that when I moved down, instead of explaining the whole process of who he was, 
when we went down there, I just started saying he was my cousin. Gotcha. It just made it easy. Yeah. So my buddy's parents owned a bunch of nightclubs up in the Lehigh Valley, one of those being uh, an adult entertainment club. Okay. And so when I went down there, I uh, got a sales job at, you know, uh, Loki Nissan or Loki, one of the dealerships. Yeah. It was just something to get a job. And I seen an advertisement for a bar manager in the newspaper and I went and applied and here it was at a, it was at a, it was at a strip club. In Tampa. In, in Clearwater. Okay. Yeah. Clearwater. Yep. Um, and I never worked a day in a bar before, but I just used my cousin's resume and I put my name on the top. So when I went in, they were like, oh yeah, we need a guy like you. And I completely winged it. Like I had no clue what I was doing. They hired me as an assistant manager and now, mind you, I'm 19. I can't even drink. Or now I'm 20 at the time. Can't even drink. I'm running uh, uh, an adult entertainment club, and I was just winging it and wow. started partying and getting in all kinds of crazy stuff. And um, at the time, uh, ecstasy was a, a really big thing, and uh, it and I never did drugs up until this point. Like I was, I, I drank. Like that was about the extent of it. Right. Um, didn't even do anything with like weed or marijuana or anything. And, uh, I got exposed to the, the whole late night scene and the rave scene. And it went from, you know, buying, you know, maybe five pills to party on the weekend to 50 pills. And then I was like, well, I could start making money off this. And it went from 50 pills to a hundred pills to 500 pills to a thousand pills to 10,000 pills. What? And for, yeah, it was, uh, wow. We had a we, we we ran a monopoly down there, and uh, it, so 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 are, just are, are you are you telling me that at at this point now you're a drug dealer? I am. Wow, not now, but then. full fledged. Yep, uh, full 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 fledged. That's what we did, and we were 21, 20, 21, 22, 23 in that at the time. And we were making anywhere from five grand a week to twenty-five grand a week. Wow! And we were just living wild, partying. It was just it was an, it it was almost like a real life Entourage, the movie Entourage, the the show Entourage with uh, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Because we did really whatever we wanted. We bought whatever we wanted. We went wherever we wanted. Going to Miami, Orlando, Fort Lauderdale. Um, New Orleans, like we were just bopping around wow. everywhere and we had a whole crew and it started to get really dark. Um, and then I got arrested. Oh, you did? I did. So that's not a long-term retirement type situation. <laughs> no, <laughs> not, at no. All. not one bit. Wow. No. Um, so, and this is all happening in Florida. This is all in Florida, okay. and wow, dude. I I got arrested by St. Pete police, and they were watching someone else, and I just happened to be at you know doing business with this guy that was being watched, and then I got arrested, and Jeez. they wanted me to turn uh, and flip on my co-defendant, and I wouldn't, so the feds picked it up. Feds oh. picked it up. And they caught us on a conspiracy charge because they they were really trying to get him, and they really had no clue who I was. Right. Um, and it just came back around, got a conspiracy charge. And at the time when I got arrested, I'll never forget. What is a conspiracy charge? Conspiracy with in 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 the with federal guidelines, conspiracy just simply means that you were aware and knew about a crime that was being committed, or uh. you were vicinity of it got it so since i wouldn't roll over on this guy yeah it went from a state charge they turned it over to the feds feds have this conspiracy got it so that's what how they picked me up and i'll never like i have these these memories just etched i remember being handcuffed and the saint pete police took me down to this was was something out of a movie ken I, i i can't even tell you like it was crazy they did the good cop bad cop Oh, did and they really? It was like on a whole other level of good cop, bad cop. And this and this is the St. Pete Police Department. St. Pete Police not, Department. Not, not the feds yet. Not the feds. So the St. Pete Police, they uh, they take me to this baseball field. It was all dark. And 
yeah, I was in the parking lot of this baseball field and the two, I was with two uniform patrolmen and they let me out of the car and I was still cuffed. And I'm like, what are we doing here? Like I had no clue. They were like, you know, there's some people that want to come by and talk to you. And I'm like, for what? <laughs> and I remember sitting down and I was looking down and I seen the handcuffs and I had my jewelry on and, you know, I just remember this snapshot of this picture of being handcuffed and like, it's like I saw it before. Right. And I was just like, this was inevitable. Wow. This was just a series of events that the, it, it was, it was expected that I was going to get arrested. And all of a sudden, like six vans pull up and they made literally like a U around the cop car. Guys jump out of the car. They had ski masks on. What? It was Ken. It was like I can't even make this stuff up. Oh my and then God. two guys get out, and uh, this was one of the the DEA agents, the feds. And they come out, and they were just like he was like he was like yeah, you know what were you doing? Now, mind you, they had no clue who I was. They had right, they thought right. these roles were all completely reversed. And. He goes out. He was like, you know, tell us, you know, where your code of where this guy, yeah. you know, he has his stuff. And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then they were doing this. You're going to go to jail, blah, 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 blah. You know, and then someone else was like, hey, listen, we're here to help you. We're here to protect you. And then <laughs> oh, the other geez. guy was like, you're going to go to jail. And they were like doing this good cop, bad cop. And then all of a sudden I was like, I want my lawyer. <laughs> I want my lawyer. Like, get me my lawyer. Something's not right here. That hadn't like, occurred to you until that moment. I, I don't know why. Because right? I think I was I think I was base basting in the, the glory of you got arrested. Oh my god. You know what dude. I mean? Like there's this part in Goodfellas, and you, you probably remember the part when Ray Liotta, when he was a kid, yeah, he yeah. gets arrested for the first time yeah. and all the, the they're like, Hey, you broke your cherry. Yeah, right. Like that was me breaking my cherry. Gosh, man. Like it was like part of the like what was supposed to be. Yeah. And then I was like, I need my lawyer. I want my lawyer. Get me my lawyer. And then that pissed one of the guys off and he rips his ski mask off. He was like, You freaking punk. Blah, blah, blah. And at the time, I recognized his face. When I was on the beach meeting my guy, yeah, yeah. seeing someone running by us. And I'm always like, got my eye. And this guy was staring at me the whole time he was running by. And like in my head, I'm like, what the frick is this guy looking at? Here, it was one of the police eyeballing the transaction going down. And I was like, you're the guy from the beach. And he was like, you don't know me. And then it just like, that was it. Wow. So they took me into St. Pete, booked me. Uh, And at the time, ecstasy was a Schedule 4 drug. So this was literally like a slap on the wrist, wow. literally. And but they wanted they wanted this other guy. So St. Pete Police, I get out, I bailed myself out. Um, I had my girlfriend at the time get you know come get my bail out. Yeah. We bailed out, and then all of a sudden, my lawyer said the feds are going to pick it up. They're going to catch you. <sighs> like going to be bigger. So we were just waiting for the cops to come. And one day they kicked my door in and feds picked me up and took all everything and I confiscated all the money that my guns and, and all my guns were legal. You know what? Right, I had everything. Right. Legal and they took my, my car, my motorcycle, my jewelry, my guns, everything. And wow, at the wow. time, uh, we went through the process. I found a federal lawyer and our federal lawyer was like, take it to trial, you know, and I'm like, yeah, where I could have just pled out and just pled guilty because I got arrested. Yeah. I probably would have did like maybe a year. Right. Because it was a Schedule 4 drug. Right. But because I thought I was John Gotti and I wanted to take everything to trial and this lawyer sold me on the fact because he just wanted more money. Right. Um, we took it to trial and I lo- obviously I lost. Um, wow. The grace that I had and the blessing that I had was at the time of sentencing. I don't know why. I don't know how it happened. I had a traveling judge from Ohio come because once I was found guilty by the jury, we did a discovery and I pre- you pretty much kind of just say what you all, all that you were included in. 
Right. And once I gave discovery of myself, they were like, they had no clue. They were like, you're kidding me. You were doing this. We thought it was this, 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 this. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you, you got the, you got the big fish. And, um, they didn't know they, so they didn't even know that they had the big fish. No clue. Oh my God. Zero clue. Oh my gosh. Like their jaws. So that pissed them off. When we go to sentencing, the prosecutor who literally no BS looked exactly like Cruella DeVille, jet black (laughs) hair, white streak, red lipstick, pale white skin, fire engine red nails. Like that's what she looked like. She goes and uh, all of a sudden, and this traveling judge comes in and she was like, your honor, you know, after discovery, you know, we realized that Mr. Modrich had done this occurrence, you know, multiple times and they were, she was literally trying to give me like 20 years. And this is in a federal courtroom. This is in a federal court. Wow. And this woman, you know, I'm going to make a note because this woman, she, she, I, I keep forgetting. She needs like the biggest thank you in the world. She, I'm sorry, before I forget no, that. go for it, dude. She, she comes in. This is the judge. The judge okay. comes in. She goes, I don't know how you do things down here in Tampa, but where I come from, the person gets arrested for what they got arrested for. They do time for what they got arrested for. We're going to give them the guidelines. He's a first-time offender, like felony-wise. Yeah. Because uh, everything else was juvie. And we're going to give them the minimum mandatory sentence for this. And it was 39 months. So I, I did four year, uh, almost four years um, with, uh, in federal prison. Wow. And in, in Florida? Uh, in Florida. Uh, well, no, uh, because it's federal, I put it for a transfer to come up, up north. Okay. Okay. And um, my first year I spent in solitary confinement because the compound, the, the, the facility that I got placed in, one of the girls knew, one of the corrections officers knew my family. They, she had a job there. She was from Allentown. So COs can't have a job with anybody. They can't know anybody. And so I sat in solitary confinement and then I got transferred. The day I got transferred, I went out to the compound. It was in Loretto, Pennsylvania. And I'll never forget this. I went out and mind you at this time, I'm still thinking this is just the way the universe, this was expected. Right. And this next moment, Ken, is when everything turned around my whole life. And this is a very pivotal point in my life. I went out smoking a Newport cigarette and there was an older gentleman probably in his late sixties and seventies, all jailhouse tatted up, missing teeth. And he turns and he was like, so you're going to do this for the rest of your life, kid. And I still get goosebumps from it. Wow. Wow. I flicked my cigarette out. I said, there's no way I went upstairs. I enrolled in every possible class that I could from marketing to selling, to personal training, to how to build a business. And for the next four years, all I did, I was determined on educating myself and being a better version because I was not going back that way. And there were, there was a point where up until that time I thought, because in prison you could either better yourself or you can be One way or another, you could better yourself to be a really a better person or you could be a better criminal. Right, right. Because you're the den of thieves. It's probably probably not no no gray area there either. There's none. Yeah. And for four years, I just studied and did my best. And when I got out, I got a personal training job at the conditioning center over in Allentown. Yeah. Started just busting my hump. I was doing all the right things, you know, paying my dues. Uh, and then a, a gentleman by the name of Billy Shotwell comes walking into my gym and told me about LA fitness. And that was 17 years ago. And I signed up on team LA and it's been one of the best things that helped me with structure and my life and salesmanship and professionalism under the leadership that I had. And that literally designed me into who I am today. And, and, and with LA fitness, just so everybody knows, and what got, 
Dude, we've we've already burned up forty five minutes. I can't even believe that. Like this has gone. <laughs> wow. So with LA Fitness, you, um, I mean, you went from personal training and made it all the way up to what the janitor's position. Yep, the the head janitor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Nothing yeah. against janitors, but yeah, I was right. The no, right. there's not at all. I've done that job, but like you, you, you went. I mean, you went high. Yeah, I was uh, one of their vice presidents uh, for the past nine years. Wow. Um, with a special focus on sales and leadership. Dude, that is freaking awesome. So, yeah. from, I mean, dude, what an amazing story. Thank you. I mean, from from drug dealer. Well, hold it. No, let's start back with. Thief. Thief. Little knucklehead. Knucklehead. Teenager that goes into the Marine Corps, get in trouble in the Marine Corps, right? Mm -hmm. That inevitably led to you being back in in basically boot camp oh, or yeah. whatever you call it. Yeah. To wow, dude! Wow. That's been crazy. Yeah. Jeez, man. So okay. Um, I'm 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 not gonna lie, dude. I'm feeling kind of emotional because, like, yeah. I can relate the the ups and downs of of being a you know I'm a recovered alcoholic, so I can I can relate to it. I can yeah. I can so relate to it. So so you um you became a VP with LA Fitness. Yep, um, became a VP. You look like uh. you need to work out, <laughs> dude. Yep. You're, you're ripped. Uh, so, they, so, it's a work in progress. What's that? It's a work in progress. Yeah. So, so, um, so you become a VP with LA Fitness. You've done obviously done very very well. Um, I did. So what's what's up? What's on the uh, the horizon for you now? Like. Yes. So during this time, uh, you know, in this years, and just so you know, I, I do have a 21 year old son. Uh, who's a United States Marine. Nice. Um, I have a 15-year-old daughter, and I have my wife, Jan, who uh, Jan went through schooling. She got her bachelor's in nursing, and we just opened yesterday. It's her, and she has a partner. We opened up Lehigh Valley Laser and Aesthetics. It is a full-service uh, aesthetic salon, med spa, from Botox to fillers to dirt facials and laser hair removal, microblading lashes. We got the, a full menu. Wow. So that, that gave me the ability to kind of walk away from LA. Yeah. Um, just because I it didn't have the financial burden to, of, of kind of handling everything. And it was kind of, we, we, we game plan this, like the, the plan actually executed and worked out perfectly. Sure. Uh, I've also been involved with the direct selling company uh, called stream that has been a heaven sent. It's dealing with uh, saving people money on their electric bill. Yeah. It's 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 an amazing company. They have a, a great culture. Uh, but then I'm going to launch a health club. Uh, me and my partner Johnny, uh, we are going to launch a health club consulting business um, here towards the end of April. Uh, I wrote a book. I just wrote a book with me and another partner of mine, George Kafalis. So that book's going to be coming out next week. I'm definitely sending you a copy. Awesome. I uh, want a called, copy. And this also, is the first I want time. I one of those t-shirts you got on. I'm, I, I got you a book. And this one, if you just look on the back, the back says, can you read that? Oh, my God. Giving up is not part of my vocabulary. I love it, dude. Yes. Love that. Yeah. There's no giving up. And that's so that's your brand as well. Right. That's my brand and conflict. So we have conflict and this is, uh, this was a whole other, this is a whole other show. Wow. Uh, lost about 30 grand on conflict, making some bad business decisions, yeah. but, uh, we turned it into a speaking platform to help mm. create future leaders with our millennials, to help empower women and create independence in women. Uh, just due to the fact that I watched both of my sisters not dependent on a soul, like they kicked ass on themselves and my sisters really set the platform for this. Like they're two of the toughest chicks I know. Wow. They've been on their own since they've been 15. Like if you think about an independent woman, it's my two sisters. Dude, like I, I, you I think, think I, that's a story. Whoops. I think What's we that? just had an internet hiccup. So like, you know, oh. I'm known for saying the word wow a lot. <laughs> I don't know why uh -huh. I say it so much. 
But I think I've said it more in this interview than I ever have. Like, dude, you are like, it's just incredible what you've accomplished. Yeah. And so, so. And I still got a lot of work to do. (laughs) I understand, but still, man, like it's, it's unbelievable what you've accomplished. It's, it's amazing. And, and I know that, um, you know, you, you really, you turned it around. Statistically, the recidivism rate is is insane, especially with drug dealers. And mm-hmm. and and not not that I know that for a fact. I have mm-hmm. been involved in in building out. Ironically, I, here I'm a recovered alcoholic, and I built the website for the Ohio Narcotics Officers Association, and, wow. and maintained it for years. So um, so I, I I've seen a lot about it. I guess you know. Um, but, but so, so you wrote a book, is it, it, what's the name of the book? Do you have a copy of it? Yep. Yep. The name of the book is called the takeover and it's just 20, it's 20 chapters on how to reframe your thinking, goal setting. It's like 20 ingredients on what a lot of people in the motivational inspiration speaking platform talk about. Uh, it's like the ultimate mind boosters that will help you get your life back on track. And do and you that's, have a copy of it right there? You can show everybody. Uh, it's being printed as we speak oh. next week. Yep, uh, it's that. That's how. That's and, how new it is. Why don't you tell everybody about you know? I, I know uh, most people on here know who David Goggins is. Yeah, can't, can't hurt me. Um, no. The the and you just did something with him recently. We did. Uh, I teamed up with the Executive Education Charter Academy here in the Lehigh Valley. Uh, Bob Lysick, phenomenal entrepreneur. He's the founder of the school, yeah. uh, got linked up with him and, uh, they had, they already had this already existing. And I just, I seen the opportunity because the school is really doing for, for me, creating future leaders with the millennials is important. Yeah. And what Bob and his team are doing over at this school, I couldn't say enough great things. I wanted to be a part to help somehow. So I got a chance to meet Dave Goggins. Uh, it was a great experience. Um, You're a lot bigger than him, by the way. A little, yeah, I'm a little bigger than him. Little <laughs> my ass, dude. You're a lot bigger than he is. Yeah, but I have uh, a feeling he he would still probably give you a run for your money. <laughs> he's got a sicko gene in there. Like he turns that on. I don't have that gene yet. I'm still calcifying it. <laughs> That's he, he, he coined the phrase "taking souls." Like you got to be able to yeah, take right? souls. Yeah. Hey, he would somebody def- just asked, what's the title of your book again? The Takeover. The Takeover. And yep. so it's not even released. It's not even released. It's wow. This is the first time I said anything about it publicly. You're the first. Oh, wow, man. Well, thank you for that honor. I appreciate yep. it. Um, yep. Well, we need to get on some live streams when it comes out, and, and I'll yes, help sir. you, man. Let's promote the crap out of it. So, yeah. so um, dude, let me ask you a question. And, and I, I ask, and we've got seven minutes or so left. Um, you know, people get stuck in life. Mm-hmm. They, they, and I'm talking about, I'm not talking about people that, that have been through all the crap you've been through. Like, you know, you either come out of that like you have or you stay stuck and, and remain in the system for life. Yeah. Um, but like. I'm talking about people that are raised in a somewhat normal environment that have never been in trouble that may even be viewed as, as um, you know, they, they, they've been privileged a little bit, but they, they hit these, these moments in life where they get stuck and they get, they feel sorry for themselves or they, they can't get out of it. They can't, they're afraid to take a leap of faith and, and go start a business or whatever it is. What do you think it is that, and everybody says fear, right? But what do you think it is that, that really keeps people stuck? Lazy. Lazy. That's the reality of it. Wow. It's, it's just. Hey, Chris Saracino just popped on, by the way. Hi, Chris. Love that dude. We (laughs) talked about you in the beginning. You'll have to watch the replay. We sure did. I, you know, it's a combination of things. I, I, I don't want to just pinpoint it on just lazy. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of factors that build into it, yeah. but it, it comes to just taking one step and putting it in front of the other. And yeah. 
you know, the thing that, and yeah, obviously I, you know, we had the conversation, uh, about, uh, Andy, um, yeah. you know, Andy Priscilla, yep. uh, he, he's been an important part of my life and Ed Milet, um, definitely have been in the past 24 months, helped me become my own CEO, um, in terms of like the mental game, yeah. and the structure, but you got to win one day at a time. Yeah. And most people, they, they, they may have the vision or the big picture, and they think that that whale is too big to swallow and they're not taking the one bite because, I mean, we've all heard this. How do you eat a whale one bite at a time? Yep. Just take one day at a time and set some some really very small attainable goals on a daily basis and start getting those little wins. Yeah. Um, Dave Doggins refers to it as the cookie jar, right? You know, you got you, you, you grab a cookie from the cookie jar. It's you got to get these little wins. Yep. And all of a sudden you win one day. Now you win two days and now you win three days. Now you just won the week yep. and then you, now you won another week and all of a sudden you won a month, you won six months, you won a quarter, you won the year and then you start to get momentum behind you. But and what, I'm, if, I'm, what, what about the, what about the, the days that you don't win and, and you, you're like, you know, I had a bad day and then a bad week and, and how, how do you break that cycle? Because again, I understand it. You get it. It's up here. But how do you break that, man? How do you go from that, man, I was winning, I was winning, I was winning, then I hit a hiccup and, and, and a speed bump, a wall, whatever, and I got stuck there. How do you how do you get past that? One, ask for help. Ooh, love it. Ask for help. Yeah. Like, I had the bravado of I could do it all on my own. Yep. I wouldn't be where I'm at right now if I didn't ask for help. Love that, man. And I had to swallow my ego. Because that the, the, that ego of the, I can do it, asking for help, you know, connecting with people like yourself and Chris, yeah. and changing your circle. I changed my circle. Yeah. I asked for help, and all of a sudden things just started manifesting to what I wanted. And now I have a support system. Dude, I love it, man. All right, last question. I ask yes, everybody sir. that comes on the show this question. Somebody calls you up. And they say, dude, I just, I, I, I can't, I can't figure it out, man. I'm, I'm stuck. I've, I've got, I've got a, um, you know, my car was repoed last week. My electric's being shut off tomorrow. Uh, blah, blah, blah. All of these things are going wrong and I don't know what to do. What do you say to that person to help them in that moment get out of that, that mindset? I try to help them realize what's real and what's not. And a lot of times, you know, getting a car repossessed, is it bad? Sure. Is it the end of the world? No. And helping them kind of pragmatically break down what's what's a real problem and what's not a real problem. Yeah. And then just creating a priority list on how to get out of that hole. And again, just taking one step at a time and just using that as a ladder to crawl book out of their hole. For me exercise is a huge part of my life and I think it should be a huge part of every single human being's life yes because when you're stressed you can't perform when you're eating poorly and not hydrated you don't perform so for me I got four bullet points exercise self-develop hustle your tail off and live a great life dude so I love it man I love it and I don't know if you can hear it, but the, the, they, they test the tornado siren every Wednesday at noon and it's literally going off right outside my window right now. I love it. So, so dude, listen, Brad, I, I, I can't, um, like your, your story is absolutely phenomenal. Thank you. I, I think the whole world needs to hear it, especially in the drug dealer community. So they yep. know that there's a better way. There um, is. And anything's possible. Have you always have you always been ripped or did that come from working as a VP at LA Fitness? I, I joke with my guys. I could have let those young bucks take me out, so I had to stay one step ahead of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it, dude. Dude, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate you coming on, being so transparent and sharing your story, man. Like it's it's huge. I really Thanks. appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, Ken. Yeah, man. All right. Hey, thank you to everybody that's been on. Thank you for sharing this out. Make sure you all go follow Brad on social media everywhere. Brad, thanks again, man. I appreciate you. Thank you, Ken. All appreciate right. you, brother. All right. See you, man. Take care.